and welcome to Michael and Ivanka's Grand Podcast. <laughs> it's grand. <laughs> we never emphasise the grandness. It's a weekly exercise in holding in wheeze for two hours. Is it? I think it's a podcast in which we battle the normalisation of our own ignorance and share our findings. Ooh. And hopefully open fresh doors. Fresh for doors. investigation. Yes, always, every week. My name's Michael Forrest. Oh, and my name is Ivanka Magic. What are we talking about this week? This week we're talking about immigration. Funk me. I, I, I'm a bit scared to talk about it in case I have ignorant opinions on. Are um, you? I don't want to just kind of do the normal kind of liberal, everything's beautiful. I want to have some opinions, but... I also think everything that these Tories and uh, Trumps stand for is evil. I think there's some pros and cons or some effects of migration yes. and causes and there are things to discuss that are, yes. not, are not all peachy. Yeah, and I'd like to talk a bit about the sort of multiple standards we seem to have uh, when we talk about immigration. All right, shall we uh, get, get started? Let the music swell. Yes. Music How was your week, Ivanka? I think it was good. It was better than last week. My <laughs> shoulder seems to be much better. Post Excellent. my visit to chiropractor and being very diligently doing all my exercises. Oh, that's good. Uh, you should use my app for that. Your habit app? Yeah. Well, I just... Daily. I, I, <laughs> well, it's not good for three times a day things, unfortunately. So. Is it not? Oh, have, no. Well, what I've done is I've tied a one of those stretchy exercise bands <laughs> to the, bo- the banister downstairs. So every time I go downstairs, <laughs> I stand doing my exercises. Yeah. So you're better. Yeah, I've seen a little bit more activity on the... Uh, on the on computer. The publications. Yes. We've got to get our merch sorted because I've just realised every week I'm drinking from these uh, mugs that are in the studio cupboard and I need to get some of our face mugs in that studio cupboard. Why do you want our faces on mugs? I don't know. Or our logo then. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I'd like a mug. So, yes, we'll uh, do that next week. Yeah. And next week. Okay. ASAP. I also see. CMYK. Yeah. I also seem to have something that is either a cold, not a horrible cold, but a cold, um, or for the first time in my life, some sort of a hay fever type thing. I'm not sure. But everyone in my household has it. So, I'm suspecting it's some sort of little summer cold type thing. Ouch. I've had a good week. I have had a good week. I've been in good spirits. I've been optimistic. I have been meeting people. I've also been, uh, I've been regularly reminded of the American immigration policy, which is what made me say, come on, let's do immigration, because yeah. I have not been able to escape it. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty grim out there so that's been happening and i've been watching world cup football croatia beat argentina 3-0 last night which was a lot of fun for anyone who supports croatia for those of you who support argentina i'm sorry but i'm not really (laughs) are you no you're not (laughs) Not really it was a lot of fun i checked this i got siri to check a football the football scores and that was enough for me siri's not that good at football scores no well it sort of, it sort of gave me some little possession shots i was like 
I was saying them to Sharon. She's like, well, what are you on about? I was like, well, they had four shots on tucks. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. I do a little bit. I've seen some football, but I also do not really care. Uh, apparently, the uh, the happiness that a football supporter experiences when their team wins, whilst is very happy, does not have the long-term impact of the sadness of the team losing. I read recently in some recent study... <laughs> Well, did you hear that thing about how domestic violence yeah, that was... rises by 34% if a football team loses, I saw? That, that, well, is that right? Well, the statistics, because we is can't it? speak for the whole world, is that yeah, in yeah, Britain, yeah. Uh, domestic yeah. violence uh, goes up when uh, England loses at the football, which is pretty grim also. In fact, my yeah, I mean, word of the week is pretty grim. It's, it's <laughs> There's a few not things going on that are pretty grim, I think. Oh, and tomorrow I'm going. I'm going marching tomorrow. Marching in London Town, I am. And uh, I'm with my balloon face. With your balloon face, and I'm squeezing it in. Uh, so basically, there's a prearranged that I forgot about a camping trip. So I am waving my family off to the campsite. I'm going to go up to London, march for a couple of hours, and then go camping. <laughs> Get a train okay. to Hailing Island. That's exciting. Hailing Island. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can't make that because I'm. Going to a festival to film my friend's uh, mechanical modular machine musical thing. Um, so it's my. It's, I'm, doing, I'm like a professional filmmaker now. I'm getting paid for this. Wow! Check me out. That is impressive, and and uh, that is cool. And how's your week though? My week has been well. It's been a very tough week f- for work. I've just. I decided I wanted to make little videos showing how all this complicated blockchain signing app worked, which just really is a good way of having to make sure that everything works. Like the user <laughs> user journeys all like flow and there's no like weirdness. Um, and on this particular project, that's whew, that was an intense little challenge. So, but it's been nice to be working out my studio because you know I need my good mic. This mic, in fact, I was using. Um, but yeah, it's just I would recommend this to any technical people if you just want to kind of um, sanity check your UX, try making some videos showing how to perform tasks in your app and you'll soon discover if something takes a weird number of extra steps and you can resolve them before filming it. So, so is that what you're doing? You're fixing things and filming them? Yeah, like, oh, nice. exactly, yeah, um, which was, it was tough. Mm. I've been also thinking about this, um, someone, we had like a marketing meeting and someone was saying about how people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, which maybe you're very familiar with, but something that I'm trying to internalise at the moment. They, I don't buy, they buy why you do it. Yeah, this is something which I thought was an interesting angle yeah. um and some because sometimes it's like yeah you, you're not gonna really gonna be sold and yeah i make music just because i kind of have to it sort of has to be because i really need to express the things that happened to me so that other people can understand because you know so it's that sort of thinking or you know why are you making this up oh, just to make a few quid or is it because i really want to change the world yeah but sometimes to make a few quid is a perfectly valid Motivation. You go, oh, oh, fair, fair dues. Some people, yeah, exactly. Some people respect that. <laughs> <And> that's fine. <laughs> uh, 
I checked my YouTube stats oh, uh, this no. week because I was thinking about male-female balance in my YouTube after we had a conversation about some wording on something and um, oh, I yeah. was like, am I just being male on this? <laughs> you, and then you had, you had been typing, I think maybe you're being male or something <laughs> on this. I was like, oh, God, am I, just, uh, am I only appealing to male? And then I checked my YouTube stats for the month and it said... 100% male viewers <laughs> aged 25 to 34. That's 3,214 views. I thought, that can't be right. It's usually, but at best, it's like 7% female. I'm like, what? What am I doing? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm appealing to me, slightly younger than me. Oh, well, that's fine. And yeah, my only final little frivolous point was um, what do you say when you hold open a door? Because I'm not charismatic in that situation. I hold the door open. Uh, but then what do you say? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> after you? Or is it just a hold? After you? <laughs> well, you can either do that, like be a, after you, lady. <laughs> or you're like, or they're like, thank you. And you're like, mm-hmm. what you have to do is go, you're welcome. You are welcome. My mum my, my my does that. Uh, if, you know, if you let people pass you in the street and they don't say anything, my mother always goes, you are most welcome. <laughs> in a true passive-aggressive English styley. Uh, just smile. You don't have to say anything, do you? You're opening the door. I suppose you could smile. That's an idea. You know, just kind of come Or nod, make eye contact, you know. Just kind of do eye contact, bit of a nod. Yeah. Eye contact I'm, nod. I'm holding the door right, for you. Good. Do you want it? <laughs> I held it for a bit longer because you were over there. <laughs> I saw you had some stuff. <laughs> anyway. The so awkwardness uh, is that sort of like when you're trying to walk away and they don't take the door, I find. So I've held it oh. open, expecting you to come through after me and then take the weight of the door so that I can proceed. I mean, if, if you're holding the door for somebody in England... They'll probably walk through your door, even if that's not the door they wanted to go through, just because they, did, they didn't racist. want the awkwardness of going, oh, I'm not actually that, going that way. That is racist. <laughs> it's not racist. <laughs> anyway. Yes. So... So we don't. Oh God! I think I feel like maybe we were like putting off the conversation on immigration to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> Are you that worried about your? Work? No, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, but like, I mean, should we start with your thoughts, Ivanka? Wow. Well, I was uh, the reason I want to talk about immigration. There's a couple of topics off the top of my head. One is obviously the recent uh, American zero tolerance policy on. Immigration, as far as I can tell, because it's refugees and illegal migrants. So it's not, it's, you know, it's migration. Uh, There's that, that's in the news. There's that Hungarians have this week, I think, passed a law to say that lawyers can't help, can't give legal advice to illegal migrants. Holy crap. Uh, There is the fact that we in the United Kingdom have a hostile immigration policy currently in sorry a hostile immigration environment at right. the moment environment's a nicer word than policy because yeah, it's so not it's not it's the okay. law <laughs> it's oh, not our crap. policy it's just you know 
we're just a bit hostile in our environment. I don't know what that means. Does that mean they don't give people, you know, enough blankets in their detention centres? I, I don't know. And then, I, then, then this, the 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 uh, comment on that got me. Somebody sent me a link to um, Caroline Lucas reporting from Yarlswood Detention Centre because we have a policy of indefinite detention of uh, illegal migrants. I think that's the technique, that's the proper term. So, you know, on the subject that you and I have often talked about, the fact that it's uncertainty that makes life really stressful. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's quite a hostile thing, I think. I do feel like the term migrants is just a, trying, a way to try and soften the fact that you're saying immigrants a lot. Because immigrants has got a talking about immigrants has sort of got a bad PR now, right. so they've changed it to migrants so that they can say the same thing. Am I? I don't know. I, I was kind of deliberately saying it because implying that because people immigrate and emigrate, it's people move. Mm. People, because, yeah. you know, that's all they are. They're people who move around. Some of them move because mm. they must in order to look, save their lives. Some of them because yeah. they haven't got enough food. Some of them just because they fancy a job in Berlin. <laughs> Some of them yeah. because they've got family in or different places. You know, not. like there's, we all move around a lot and we are all mm. migrants or many of us move around and many of us are migrants. And yes. then, so, so, and there's lots of positive, you know, traveling, are you, you're not, I think the definition, the, the difference between a traveller and a migrant is somebody who's going to somewhere to be there for a bit or work there or somehow live there. I don't know, you know, if that's the, the definition. Malcolm Gladwell's podcast this week was about immigration from sort of across the Mexican border. And it was about how like people used to, it used to be like hardly anything there and you'd get a lot more circular migration. So people would come to sort of earn a bit of money for six months and then go back home to their families yeah. um, for the rest of the year. Uh, but then they tightened up the border controls and then it made it, made it a lot of a bigger deal to cross the border. So you didn't sort of get the people going back. And also they were never really measuring how many people are leaving the country, just how many people are coming in. So they never really had good numbers on, on what was going on. So, um, yeah, it's... I think we. I think having numbers on leaving countries is actually a thing in general. I think Britain's similar. We don't count um, because you don't really get your passport checked on the way out very often, do you? So we're mm-hmm. not. We don't have stats. Just show it to. Yeah, you only have to show it to the person. I think plane I think, travel think certainly, but yeah. Oh yeah. To go on a car, nobody's really. You know, the French might register yeah, that yeah. you've entered France, but. British are like, bye. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I am thinking of plane travel, which obviously and is that, a bit... And that's more to do with identity checking, you know, making sure you're not yeah, yeah. on their list of naughties. I always wonder what's going on in that little booth, though. They just sort of look at it, and sometimes they scan it, and I, I want to know what data's going where for that. And Well, there was that thing, um, the, uh, the Sun did this article, this expose of their journalist who had travelled all the way across Europe without having to show his passport once, and then the Croats promptly produced a scan of his passport at their border. Because there's that sort of Schengen zone, so Croatia's yeah. part of the European Union, and it's now... One of the borders that faces outside the European Union is its border with, well, actually many of it. There's a border with Serbia, a border with Bosnia and Herzegovina, and um, Montenegro is not in the EU, no. I've so, been calling it Schengen zone for I ages. I think it's Schengen. 
It is Schengen. Shenzhen is in now. China, isn't it? Yeah, I know. That's and I like Shenzhen in China. So I was, I thought it was a coincidence that I was saying Madame Rose is Schengen. So I've been saying the wrong thing. I even put it in a bloody See, song. Look, we we battle the normalisation of our own ignorance on this podcast <laughs> here to educate ourselves. Um, mm. But yeah, so and it, because they've got to do a load of work, so you always have to produce your passport entering Croatia because they're, they're, they're shoring up the Schengen zone, basically. And until they tick all the boxes, uh, you still have to get your passport checked in Slovenia, which is the next border along. So it's mm. all a bit... Um, so they do loads of scanning. And when they got those scanners, it was a total nightmare because they were really slow. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, our house in Bosnia and Herzegovina, the family, is so close to Croatia, and you go to the seaside every day, it's like... <sighs> You saw me yesterday. I'm still just going to seaside. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So people move around. So there's that sort of immigration, migration, but also things like uh, one of my one of the stories I heard this week is a friend of mine works for an American company in the UK, and you know there were because we were discussing the reversal of the policy or the ending of the policy of taking children away from their parents. but anyway, it's big, big American company, international, and they were already talking about how they could apply pressure on the government because 40% of their New York office wasn't born in the United States of America. Mm. So it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of hypocritical of many of these big firms to stay silent when they rely on migration massively to run their businesses. I guess, I mean, you've done your fair share of migration, right? Yeah. Um, my, my family's a lot of, uh, are quite migrant. I have relatives in the US, in Canada, in France. My father grew up in Germany. Well, went to school in Germany and my grand, you know, worked there for a while. And like, we've always been quite an international family. My sister sort of lived in Canada, lived in Australia. Um, but it's different, isn't it? Because we're white and uh, middle class, you know? So even though my sister, you know, even though they might go out there, no one's really complaining in the same way. Also, English speaking, hey, I love your accent, you know, all that kind of thing. Because and I think when people talk about immigration, they're not talking about white people and they're not talking about, you know, they're not talking about my family when they talk about immigration. But it's why it's the same. Yeah, they're starting to talk about my family because we're we're uh, Slavs <laughs> so it sounds like a but my my English family is very English you know they're like yeah. we're so my mum's the first one that married a foreigner <laughs> and messed right. with the gene pool Ooh. but um but I've got Croats up everywhere there's literally no way I can go where there's not some family you know if it's not my dad's cousin it's my dad's second cousin or somebody Australia mm. Canada everywhere um, but no, I, I definitely get the sense that we're not talking about white English speaking, middle class, but even working class, you know, it's not really class. Mm. It's just white and English speaking. I think that yeah. gives you a free, free pass. Um, yeah. did you see the thing that Dave Carter shared on Facebook, which was the, the state department doing a, Hey, traveling to America with children, but it was meant for like holiday makers. You know, it's clearly like, oh, we don't mean 
those people, we mean those of you coming on holiday. And then you've got all these Dutch and German people going, um, if I'm bringing my child to the US, should I, you know, tattoo my phone number on their arm so that they can... <laughs> it was literally like they totally... It's like the most insensitive timing of some sort of like, hey, come and visit America with your children. So, and then uh, one thing that I found quite fascinating about the whole thing is the amount of people on my Twitter timeline arguing with each other about, and it's happening everywhere, it, whose policy is it? You know, is it a, an Obama policy that Trump is, you know, implementing? Is it a blah, blah? It's like, I don't care whose policy it is. <laughs> change Just it. Just stop it. Sort it you out, know? yeah. You know? I don't, it doesn't matter. It's America's policy. Uh, own it, please. Yeah, and also, <laughs> I mean... That reminds me of that other thing that I think I mentioned of, like, if you want to create terrorists, which is this thing that apparently you're super scared of, tr see see how many more terrorists that prevents. Ha you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just... See what happens. See how much you can make people hate you yeah. by ripping them from their parents as a child. Well... And, yeah. and then be surprised when they start blowing things up because that's the only power they have. Well, it's like, uh, you know, Lydia Foster, she went to a conference this week and in her words, she said, I thought it was going to be rubbish, but actually it was really good. <laughs> High praise. But um, more and more and more and more and more that we are understanding the science of what happens to a child's brain when it is traumatised. Well, what happens to anyone's brain when there's trauma, but a child whose brain hasn't developed and connections haven't been formed yet, if you traumatise that child, that trauma has to be addressed in order for the brain to heal. Otherwise, it won't, and they will not have the connections necessary to live a quote-unquote normal life. You know, it's like... They're going to be... Angry, Anger. like judging by the anger I had all my life. Well, yeah, and, you know, I still had a relatively stable family. Like I, I had a lot of that to work through. I mean, I was never like, well, I didn't know who to blame, but like they've got someone to blame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like rightly so. Yeah. You know, and uh, they, uh, you know, even if you're going to look at this at, at a purely bean counting capitalist level. Hmm. It's expensive to ho you know to house a child who then turns into a traumatized human who then turns into a traumatized adult who then that costs money they will be yeah. then the people who end up in prison on drug la 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 because that's that's all they can do you know like it's going to cost you money so you're better off letting them not be traumatized I do think um that is something humane or morally right is actually often a good indicator of whether capitalism-wise it's probably going to work long-term. Maybe that's really naive. <laughs> like, like, you can only get away with exploiting and, like, betraying people for so long before it, it comes back to you. Yeah, I'd like to think that's uh, true. Not sure. I, that's how I try and live, but, I mean, maybe I'm just I horribly naive. I, well, I don't know. I'm trying to think of that. You know, the... Um you know, there's that whole um, thinking amongst amongst a certain... I don't know if they're a type of economist or a type of capitalist or a type of finance person or whatever, but they like they think that the market will right itself. Mm. So if you... So what's right will float to the top and make more money because 
it was what works or the proper answer. I mm. think there's a whole different school of thinking that says that's bollocks because <laughs> 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 I'm kind of inclined to think. But you'd think that if something is totally wrong and unworkable, at some point it wouldn't make money or that they, it has a, a shelf life, which, you know, if you look at it, but I think that shelf life might be a couple of hundred years, though. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't think it's short term. It's like slavery, only, you know, it had a shelf life, but it was a very, very long shelf life, and yeah. it was pretty awful, you know. Yeah, and also things grim. are just changing. The environment is changing so quickly. I mean, the environment for sort of ideas and, and things happening, that, that it's changing so quickly now that what is right, needs to keep pace yeah, I, I, with what's possible. I think, sadly, a lot of the times what's right doesn't make as much money. But then that's if you only... That's, again, what we were talking about, measuring success. Like, you know, if you're only going to measure it in cost terms, then... Because then it's probably somebody who's bloody making money out of the... Well, in America, certainly, you know, they're all private prisons and private... Oh yeah, well that's why there's so many there. people in prison. That's why there's so many people in prison because people are making money out of it. It's just a. Uh, anyway, um, sorry, I'll let you continue your thought. I was gonna. T- I was talking about the fact that it's actually. I do believe it's international law. People have a right to turn up at your border and go, "Hello, I am seeking asylum," mm. and you can't turn them away. You have to accept them, which is why the UK is so big on people not, you know, why it's easy for us to not have loads of refugees in, in many ways, which we don't have loads of refugees compared to other countries because you've got to get across water to get here. So, yeah. it's like, so immigration does feel like a different conversation in this country just because we're an island. Yeah. Whereas I think when you're talking about it, you're kind of internalising Europe a bit more than I am, which is obviously a completely different situation. So, you know, so, so, for, yeah, so, so a lot of these people now that are turning up at the American border and were being ripped from their families are from Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, places where life's dangerous and mm. you have a right to, to move, to try and find a better life and to argue that you know and then you get the sort of argument the counter argument of um it's not my fault or why don't they make it better where they are blah 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 all these kind of but you know I I just think it's a obviously as a I, as a person, I think it would be wrong for me to be against any sort of migration of people because if it weren't for the migration of people, because both my parents migrated to a third country, you know, they met in Germany because Mm. they had both migrated to do something. My mother to get better at speaking German because she's a German teacher and my father because that's a long story. (laughs) But, you know, there they were. And so, you know, for me to sort of be anti-immigration would be a bit of a bit hypocritical. But there are these sides of it, which is part of the anti-EU argument with the sort of free, free movement of people plays into the capitalist hands and uh, brings down the wages and increases competition and does all these sorts of things. But but isn't the EU trying to also resolve those problems as it goes and has actually the ability to say here's a here's the working wage is the living yeah, wage is this and that it frees up the resources to be able to improve those things doesn't it yeah, so in more I places think, yeah so you know suddenly you know a country that might never have considered those things has to because it becomes european policy 
you and I, I know agree on the on the if the EU's not working properly you don't break it you fix it <laughs> yeah. yes like you use your voice and you know, try and improve it you try and make it better you don't just go oh well that experiment didn't work um, exactly because i think there's lots of things about it that really do work but yes you can build on you can build you know? on make it better iterate yeah. people iterate it's like have some imagination and you might you know get past this sort of blinkered view of, of yeah. sort of oversimplified view that the daily mail is feeding you so um, how do we yeah. move away from the thing that you were saying, which is it's all very okay if you're a white person migrating. Why are we so down on... How come we're so racist and how come racism is conflated so much with immigration? Yeah, and um, did you... Did, uh, well, and I also want to shout out... I've listened to a couple of podcasts. That I guess immigration is very much the topic this week, but this um, Akala's... I think you linked it yeah. to to me a Carla's in- interview with James O'Brien um I will link to the episode like you've got to listen to it because this is a smart articulate person that's uh, like he's got a lot to say but like some of the stuff that I took away from that was he was talking about the people that emigrated from I the people his family his his sort of grandparents that emigrated and a lot of those families were upwardly mobile people they were smart people that had the resources to move to another country because they and they thought you know there's opportunities here that I might not have in my own country and um they had british passports i mean i i honestly like i i do not know enough about it to talk i'm just going to say like Hopefully this sounds interesting enough that you go and listen to Akala talking about it because it's it's pretty fascinating. This is it's just like in very recent history, everyone was has been very racist and we're nowhere near kind of recovering from that yet. So and that's that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. Yeah. But I think also there's um there is something to be said for sort of language barriers as well. Yeah, yeah. Um which is a different thing, I think. Like it it is a bit frustrating to um, I suppose for a state to try and deal with people that they can't communicate with, and but but in this country we're you know you can get everything in every single language, like we're very accommodating, but I think probably um, if you it, it is tempting not to learn the language if if you're kind of being uh, looked after either way, and I saw that in Berlin as well. Like you can just live there speaking English and. But I, I didn't really like that. I kind of feel like I should be making an effort, but lots of people didn't. Lots of English people didn't. And um, when you sort of see, you know, sort of immigration and lots of sort of communities of people that speak a certain language and there's not really any incentive to sort of integrate and you have that language barrier, I think that sort of creates a lot of tension. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. We, we talked about this, right? It's that it, it, I think it creates tension from the person who doesn't understand who's going, oh, what are they saying? And then there's that frustration of coming, you know, that whole coming to our country, don't speak our language type thing, Um, which is understandable. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of rude, you know, to not, uh, but, you know, it takes time to learn a language and you can't learn a language if people aren't going to talk to you. A lot of the jobs that um, immigrants get as their first jobs are jobs that where they 
don't have to talk to anybody. So they end up yeah. cleaning people's houses or, you know, doing manual labour. And so nobody's actually talking to them apart from perhaps like the other Bulgarian or the other Romanian or the other German or whoever got them in, you know, brought them over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will, I will, I don't know, this might, like, I will, like, the last, my last house moving experience was horribly frustrating because I got three guys that just it's like moving someone's stuff into a van is not unskilled labor that doesn't like it requires a lot of communication there's a lot of moving companies that are sort of hiring people that don't really speak good enough English and then I had this problem with these people that they were I I swear to god they were hiding behind the language barrier to be just super lazy about everything (laughs) like I was kind of shocked with and and that's like I'm like I'm not being racist but I'm honestly like it was absolutely shocking how much they fucked about and how many cigarettes they were smoking and sort of stopping and like waiting around and then I'd try and say like what I, I needed to happen and it was like uh, and it's like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, this probably might not be podcast worthy, but that was a very frustrating experience for me. Uh, but I'm not blaming it on immigration, I suppose, as much as I'm blaming it on the company, you know, not adequately training their staff or like just having just, I don't know, I need to probably pay more money to get some. You're going to get more expensive movers, Michael. I did some research. These weren't super cheap, to be honest. No. They weren't like mega. Although when I moved from Germany to England and I got like just a kind of like geezer, it just happened. It was a well, they were kind of late, but then it was just like no fuss, just like done. Like a smart person doing the moving is like that's what I want. How do you Google that? I don't know. <laughs> well, I always find like packing a van requires a certain a certain amount of uh, mathematical skill to get everything in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not just like no. physical strength. No, it's it's like you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. You got to be able to figure stuff out. Yeah, you got to plan and out logistics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, yeah, you've got to plan out the order in which you're going to put things in, get them out, make sure they're all going to fit. Da da da. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's not it's not straightforward. Filling a van, <laughs> emptying it. There's a, uh, unless you've got Anyways. like a really big van and not many things, in which case it's easy. But then you got to make sure they don't slip around and yeah, break. Yeah, that's all that true. Stuff. So, you know, it's 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 it's, it's not trivial, and I, I just don't like this idea that you can get people that don't speak English, and you know. <laughs> Sharon got a letter from the Home Secretary yesterday. Oh, yeah. uh, To EU citizens. Oh. Um, And it's um, it's, uh, basically, well, I'll just read it. Um, We can sort of trim it down. But dear Sharon, as Home Secretary, I take immense pride that so many EU citizens like you have made your home here. Safeguarding the rights of EU citizens in the UK has always been our first priority. And the agreement we reached with the EU earlier this year did just that. The rights that you and your family currently have are protected, which includes access to healthcare, benefits and pensions. Away from the negotiations, my team in the Home Office have been working hard to develop the service that you'll use to get your settled status. This work will continue as we make sure that the system and processes are rigorously tested and meet every requirement ahead of the launch. Today I am able to announce in more detail, this is what the system will look like. And that's a link to like a, a gov dot whatever gov.uk page 
doesn't seem to be done yet. But most importantly, the application process is designed to be simple. Most people will only need to complete three sections to prove their identity, show that they live here and declare that they have no serious criminal convictions. We will also check employment and benefits records we already hold in government, which for many people will mean that their proof of living here is automatic. We hope that, therefore, most people will not need to do anything beyond typing in personal details. What's more, settled status will cost less than the fee for a British passport, £65 and £32.50 for children under 16. For those who already have valid permanent residence or indefinite leave to remain documentation, they will be able to exchange it for free. There will be support for the vulnerable and those without access to a computer. I should stress that you do not need to do anything just yet. The scheme will open later this year. Um, deadline for applications in the meet is 30th of June 2021. In the meantime, please do share this message with friends and family. Hope that you agree with me that this is an important step towards the commitment we made to you and your family so that you can continue your lives here. Yours sincerely, Sajid Javid, Home Secretary. What do you think of that? They've got to do something if they're if the current legislation or current reason to be here or you know legislation under which you're here is changing. So they've is the settled status a new type of status? Yeah, yeah. So the basic eligibility. You need to be an EU citizen or family member of an EU citizen. You need to have been living in the UK continuously for five years and have started in living in the UK by thirty first of December twenty twenty. If you've lived in the UK for less than five years, you'll generally be eligible for pre-settled status instead. I think what's interesting about this to me is, I mean, they're having to kind of um, create a whole new computer system. Yeah, it's costing money. To do this. <laughs> and it's costing a lot of money yeah. and it sounds like it's delayed, uh, which is why they're sort of, here's a link to sort of what it will look like because we haven't got it working yet. And hopefully it will connect to all our other systems. But yeah, I just go, I, I suppose that sort of outcome of that is maybe they'll do sort of make it relatively straightforward to register your status, but it's certainly costing more than the NHS money was costing probably at this point? Well, I think I think one thing the Government Digital Service has uh, been working towards for sure is the idea of using modern connected... So, for example, you can upload an iPhone photo now for your passport and if you've had a mm. passport, a photo uploaded for your driver's licence, it can automatically be used yeah. on your part, all those I kind of things. Yeah. So that's, they're, they're getting stuff like that working. I imagine as well that this could be a precursor for people's uh, applications to become citizens. I mean, what's happened to this Windrush generation has happened because of an absence of this sort of connected, you know, here's my national insurance number. You yeah. check if I've lived here for the last 50 years, mate. Yeah. You know, why do I have to? Because I think that was part of the problem. They they had this policy where you had to pr produce a piece of documentation for every single year that you'd lived here or something outrageous. So if it's a sort of seed system for something cleverer, so that, you know, if you're, I don't know, applying for British citizenship, they, they or, you know, the, the idea of government automatically getting all the data they already hold on you sounds infinitely sensible. Mm. Here's um, proof of residence. You can give the Home Office permission to check HMRC data that may show how long you've lived in the UK. So they can check your HMRC stuff. Yeah. You may need to provide evidence to prove your residence, for example, P60s, bank statements, utility bills. 
you'll be able to submit scans of these documents through the online application form. You do not need to provide evidence of your entire residence in the UK, only for that period that proves you're eligible for settled or pre-settled status. Well... So it sounds like they're kind of they they they're doing a reasonably polished job of this, yeah. like from a technical perspective. So maybe it's something that needed to get done. Well, remove it certainly removing a degree of uncertainty for Sharon and yes. people like Sharon. It's like you know we're not you know we 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 intend to keep let you stay. Hmm. Um, because I, I, did I tell you the story last? No, it was actually after we recorded the podcast, I went into town and uh, to buy some shoes. And I was in a shoe shop and a lady was buying some shoes for her wedding. So we were, oh, congratulations. She said, yeah, we're only getting married because of Brexit, because my husband's an EU citizen <laughs> and we don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. even though we've been together for years, we thought we should. So I don't want anyone to mention it ever again, but I'm getting some new shoes. <laughs> like a, it's more of a, you know, so it's, that was my first Brexit wedding that I experienced. And then the woman who owns the shop, she's a Spanish woman. She said her children keep having a go at her to get her British citizenship. She's yeah. like, I've owned this business for 30 years. What are they going to do? Chuck me out. <laughs> Imagine all that with a very down-to-earth Spanish accent. She's like, F, they can try. <laughs> um, but now her children are applying for their Spanish citizenship because they want EU and they don't want to have to queue when they go visit their grandparents. <laughs> When I go to Croatia, I am um, uh, sort of three doors away from some very good family friends who have spent most of their working lives in Germany. Uh, Germany yeah. has a phrase which is Gastarbeiter, so, you know, guest worker. So they've been mm. guest workers in Germany for many, many, many years. They're pretty much German Croats, really. They've, um, and they do speak the language and all that jazz, but they're mm. retiring back to Croatia, spend more and more time there. But anyway, we were talking about the fact that, you know, Germany let in this million refugees. Yeah. And, uh, well... The way she phrased it, it's like, you know, there's been problems since Merkel let in the million refugees. Oh, um, and I was like, well, what's the problem? Well, because they had let so many in at the same time, all in one go, of course, not all the checks could be done quite as rigorously as maybe they would have. So they've had a few proven actual terrorist types slip through the net. But when I say a right. few, it's like, I think it's 29 out okay. of a million. Well, I mean, that is unacceptable. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think mean, it's, on, as like... errors go. And my, this friend, well, she wasn't telling me this story in a, in a, you know, like, well, she's a migrant worker, you know, so she's not exactly, she's not yeah. sitting there going, rah, 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 bloody migrants coming over here, stealing our jobs. It was more like, it's been interesting in Germany, the sort of the pol political conversation around the fact that of these, you know, loads of people came in in one go. And then there have been problems because there are cultural problems. You know, Germany, Germany kind of owns its history in many ways and so airs always on the side of the progressiveness you know mm. it always because I think they'll benefit <laughs> they're ultimately going to benefit from yeah. this I think they're ultimately going to have a much I think it's going to pay dividends but they've yeah well they've also got 
towns in particularly what was formerly East Germany where there's just not enough young people so there aren't enough care workers because one of my Croatian cousins got a job in one of these towns where there aren't enough young people doing jobs that you need younger people to do because everyone's buggered off to what you know what was West Germany or wherever Um, so migration does have a negative massively it does but when I think about it it's it's sort of like you're going to get Lots of people, if you get lots of people coming in, you're going to get like people that have the wherewithal to kind of move countries, or even if they're refugees, they're the ones that managed to, had the, had the intelligence the to escape, <laughs> had the connection, had the nous to kind of get out of there. Yeah. Right. So you're already like, that's a pretty good selection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you're always going to get a few idiots, but I, I really think the kind of benefits, like this country is built on. Like amazing things come from this place because there are so many things coming together. I don't know the answer for Britain, but if you look at America, everybody's a migrant. Yeah, and not thousands of generations. You know, a couple hundred years. You know, Mm. it's for and again, it's all those people who are hungry, looking for a better life. You know, doing that thing, getting the money together, and going to America to try and you know live the American dream and become Mm. a gazillionaire. Opportunity, blah blah blah. And it's like, how can you shut the door behind you? Why? Who do you think yeah. you are? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, wait, wait yeah, it was I made okay it. up until now. Yeah, right, yeah. up until now, everyone's allowed to come through. Yeah, nobody else. Um, also, the people that were here before, mm, yeah, <laughs> you know. they don't matter either. I mean, I, I think, you know, the cost of maybe a few people being on welfare or using the health system, like, compared to the sort of economic benefits of all of the people coming in that are probably not, you know, have got a bit of imagination... I think it's just, it's got to be a net benefit. Uh, well, I don't, I don't, yeah, I would, one, one would imagine so. How do, we, how do we measure this? Is there, are there measurements of this? How can we, like, prove this? Well, I don't know. I think, I think in the UK they had that um, if we all go home campaign, you know, post the referendum. Mm. And then there have been calculations of, you know, yes, there is a cost people come here and shit happens to them we need to look after them but also there are there there are definitely studies that I've seen go around but a lot of these things are I think a bit tricky to prove yeah um, yeah I mean it's, it's very hard to quantify this sort of thing but I mean I don't know just intuitively like well for look me, at like, the teams you know, we've worked on you know look at yeah like look at canonical anything, <laughs> it's like anything good I have ever, any company I've ever worked for that's doing anything remotely interesting it's got flipping immig- it's everywhere yeah. it's people from everywhere and that live every well I don't know less I'm not sure about the whole kind of remote working thing but um so, <laughs> like you put all these people in a room and it's like yeah it's like we had the canonical design team i think had two three people that one would describe as british and i and i don't count myself in that gang you know like we were like a proper mishmash (laughs) of the world and i remember being really frustrated hiring visual designers and finding that you know like finding really good Brazilian designers not being able to hire them because they actually need a work permit 
And I'm like, what the hell are you doing in London without work permit? You know, it's like, why am I even interviewing you? God. Because it's yeah. like, I can't sponsor a work visa, but they're... Yeah, and I've said it before, it's just like more immigration policies being more stringent just means more admin for business, yeah. for me, if I want to hire someone that does something for, you know... Yeah, or having to compromise and hiring people who aren't as good. Because instead of picking mm. from the best in the world, you're picking from... Which is one of the reasons why Canonical had their remote working policy which is that whole, we're going to find the best person for the job, doesn't matter where they are, mm. and they can work from home. But we had this problem with the design team where really it's very hard to work remotely. Um, also, I think it's hard for... I think I, I think you can't just divorce someone. From, uh, this is a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like, I don't think you can say a person exists as a brilliant person in isolation. It has to be about the communication and the, and the sort of yeah. team as well. And if that's really kind of like... Yeah. fragmented then you i think the net yeah. you know there's a net see kind of pre see previous debate conversations yeah. about genius i think is the, <laughs> yes, uh, you well, know and talent yeah. it is that it's that yeah you're only the genius only comes through you when you're in this team <laughs> you know, it's like because we 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 provoke it we create it yeah I can imagine, though, if your life is very hard and you feel like your country is helping other people and not helping you, I imagine yeah. that you'd be pretty pissed off. So this is and this is where the problems come, yeah. like people that feel like that they were here first and why are other people seeming to get better treatment than they are. And why, why is that? What is that? Is that um, is that? just a sense of entitlement that we can dismiss or is it something that we have to desperately fix or like what is it what what, what is it that people need that they're not getting because in the riots for example the yeah. london riots like it kind of it was quite revealing in terms of like people just a lot of people kind of stealing big tellies and stuff like that was the kind of aspiration it seemed it seemed to sort of reveal a sort of like okay well do, do people just want a bigger telly and then that's fine like what do you feel like you're not getting because obviously you're exposed to kind of fabulous wealth and you know you're like the media exposes you to people that you can only compare yourself to that you never have any hope of kind of reaching that level of wealth but that's certainly not something that's being given to immigrants no but i think it's, it's you know i think that's a it's somebody's fault I don't have that big telly and it's not my fault and so it must be your fault because uh, you don't look like me and you're here I don't know I don't know how it works I found those riots amazing because we weren't in the country and I was like huh <laughs> what is going on <laughs> what has yeah. happened but then you know you, you don't need to travel far outside because you see I, in many ways, live in this little bubble in Brighton. But Brighton mm. has a... There is massive inequality. Um, and, mm. I mean, that going back to that that uh, Hugh Fernley... How do you say his name? Hugh Fernley... Ujima flip. Whittle store? Whittle store, there. That one. His TV show where he went to Newcastle and that woman went, you're in the wrong place, part of town, come here. And she drove in, she's literally like 
from this ward, so this from this council ward to this council ward, the average life expectancy falls by 12 years in the same city. Mm. So never mind travelling north and south, just travel to the other bit of your town where people's lives are not like yours. And it's like that, that 12 years is massive. So if yeah. you translate 12 years into, you know, just a life of not being able to afford good food, not be able to make your life better, then, you know, that's a lot of being really angry. Yeah, we need the luxury communism. We do. We need the luxury communism. The lu- I think, like, automation, like, cheap, make everything easily with automation and then just have luxury communism. Yeah. But I don't know if those people's life expectancy would go up. Trouble is, like, when you haven't got that much money, drug addiction is quite, you know, drinking drugs are going to be the only way to sort of like feel a bit better about your situation and that for me is like uh, that that kind of breaks my heart a bit that to, to to see people they spend spending everything they have just to for sort of a chemical dependency but that, i mean and, and I, I don't just limit that to like heroin addicts on the council estate i just anyone that's sort of like having to sort of drink just to get through their existence like even if it's just like every couple of nights i i that's kind of heartbreaking to me as a kind of post alcohol drinker i don't know it leads to anger it leads to hangovers it leads to <laughs> makes it hard to well it just makes it hard to get out of a rut i think the problem i think like a lot of people are stuck in a rut and they see other people being helped and probably if you're a fresh immigrant you're probably not going to be sort of settled into a sort of like drug dependent existence um and if you are i think it's just like it's the only thing you've got but it's also like a massive uh, sort of limiting factor in your ability to actually improve your you know your situation uh, but I mean, and maybe it is the only thing that's possible but i, I don't know like i i think there's something to i don't i think there's also I think the thing that helps everybody is not having people living in re- in real poverty. You know, you know, it lifts. I firmly believe, and I can't point at a thing that if you know the the higher you lift, the lowest line of existence. So having living wages, having minimum wage, you know, having the higher you can get that line, so that the poorest person isn't that poor anymore, or is you know, it's like yeah. the the then the better it is for everybody uh you know like can can we pay for therapy for everyone oh yeah i mean (laughs) instead of the nhs like 30 years down the line when everyone's livers are failing well that i mean that idea that it's all connected is i i still i keep getting all these stories from lydia as well goes on these courses and finds out more things about what how you know children get damaged and she was telling me this very inspiring story and i don't know the woman's name of this woman who lydia said she was just listening she does everything she's everything (laughs) it's like she's amazing but she was this headmistress at a school in a deprived part of nottingham which was a massively failing school with like you know kids Mm. chucking things you know regularly very young children on the roof of the school go you know it's like a a Mm. total disaster so she came in uh, you know, sat the staff down and went, I've got a plan, this is my plan. If you're with me, stay. If you're not with me, you're very welcome to go and I will 
uh, help you find somewhere else to go. And she did this. A uh, couple of them went. And then one weekend, she and a bunch of other staff dug a massive hole in the middle of the sports field, covered it in a marquee, police cars, fire engines parked up. And when all the kids turned up to school on Monday, they were like, what's going on? And she had... She had she turned school because basically the kids were failing at maths and English. So right. all they were doing is giving the kids more maths lessons and more exercises and more things yeah. and more, more, more. She was like, that is not working. Let's not do that anymore. Made this thing. And then for the week, the whole school were forensic investigators trying to work out okay. where this hole had come from. And they had access <laughs> to all these all this stuff. And the attendance for that week was 99 percent. Because yeah. everyone was really engaged, really interested. And by getting engagement and getting people going, she then started breakfast clubs that the parents could attend with the children. So they all got breakfast and they got to talk right. to each other. And then Lala, and from these breakfast clubs, community groups formed so people would help other people write their CVs, help them get... It was like a magical story of, of community <laughs> engagement, but literally to the point where the local co-op and the Sainsbury's, if they needed somebody to get a job, would phone the school and go... Have you got any parents who need some hours? Do you know what, you know what I mean? It was like it became kind of a everybody engaged in everything getting better for everyone. And, you know, that, my friends, is what socialism is. It's not commies, you know, I don't know, Trotskyist, whatever the hell it is. You know, it's, it's like, not being told what to do. It's, it's, not, it's not being other... given an opportunity to be creative and invent amazing things. And it, you know, it's like... like everybody helping everybody else out. And if you are really good, yes, you'll do better. But don't tread on other people on your way up. I think what's what's potentially changing in this country pre it's got nothing to do with the referendum. So there was a you know, what has already started. I know there's these big political phrases like northern powerhouse and there's all these I don't know what they're all trying to do, but in, in digital technology land, a policy that government instituted a number of years ago uh, was a way of making it easier for small to medium-sized businesses to compete for government contracts. So it did they don't all go to the likes of Capita and Cerulean or have you say their mm. name, the kind of people that go bust and don't care because they're massive behemoths and all that. Yeah. They came up with this framework for, for selling that's called G-Cloud, which the genius thing it did, I'll, re I'll big up the people that came up with it, was simply mm. opened up government business to a wider range of people, which because yeah. they've worked out that for every pound you spend with a small business versus a very big one, you're kind of saving a pound in government money. It's kind of, it, they, yeah. they've come up with these formulas. But the other side effect that this had is that a lot of government technology work, a lot of these projects like the settlement thing, are starting to engage companies across the UK. So there's a quite in, there's right. some nice graphs where or nice maps where you've got business used to be centralised in London and now it's going everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of these digital technology jobs are moving to places like Manchester, to Leeds, to and so we're starting to see, I think, a new industry in those areas that's not just replacing coal mines with nothing. 
That's fascinating, yeah. Like, because I mean, that's the whole thing with the internet. It's decentralized. You don't yeah. have to be. There's no reason you can't find a good team in another city. I mean, and also, you know, if, if um, I always use Doncaster as my example of a place that voted to leave the EU because my mum keeps going. She's mm. like, I was campaigning in Brighton and I should have been going to Doncaster. <laughs> it's like, yeah. or you know, so we were talking about what we could do. It's like when it's like go open a digital ac- academy. One of those things that you know people, and I don't mean that in the school academy sense, competing with state schools. I mean a, a, a place where locals can learn how to you know make stuff for the internet and then do it from Doncaster <laughs> it's like because mm. it, it's 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 the the world of work is changing the skills you need are changing and people need to you know people need to be given opportunities we've talked about Money as freedom tokens, that's something you said. Yeah. And how really money is, it's less about having money, it's more about having freedom. So that must mean that when people are angry at immigrants, they are envious of the fact that they have less freedom than these people that seem to be able to. I mean, even just the fact that they're free to move between countries probably feels like they already have more freedom than you do if you just can't afford to do that and you can't think about it um so it sort of makes sense that you'd be um angry about that but it's like also what what are the people that are angry about immigration not free to do that they would like to be free to do mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to do a survey don't we <laughs> <I> don't, yeah <laughs> My first flippant response was buy yeah. a bigger telly. Buy a higher quality of grass. Um, <laughs> I suppose they feel trapped. Maybe it's not that they, maybe it's a feeling of trapped. So, which yeah. is not necessarily, you know, I'm not free to do a thing, but I can't think of, you know, it's it's more. Oh, it's, that's the, the opposite big, yeah, of freedom, being trapped. trapped. And I kind of feel tra- there's the middle class trap as well, yeah, where yeah. like you can't. You can't really set up something ambitious because you can't afford not to be working. Yeah, yeah. You have to work to live and then your kind of standard of living raises and now you can't stop working without everything going going downhill. <laughs> like this is this is another trap. So there's like poverty traps, there's the yeah, middle yeah. class trap and it's only really the super wealthy that actually have the freedom to set up, you know, Facebooks and stuff. But yeah, maybe it's a perverse... Because, you know, to, to, to say that a refugee has freedom is a bit of a... Well, I know, yeah. I know you're just using, you know, it's just a... But, but it, I'm saying from the perspective yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know, the angry... The angry native. person. <laughs> the angry native. <laughs> yeah. The angry white British native who is angry. I think feeling trapped... You know, you can't change jobs, you can't move house, you can't... It possibly doesn't even stretch as far as holiday. You know, it's like you can't change cars, yeah. you can't change for everything in your life is what you've got or what you haven't got. Yeah, I think feeling trapped must be a... is probably a interesting factor in all this. And, that's, and it's, 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 a, it's a fairly universal feeling, I'd say. But you, you sort of... It then kind of has to turn into a conversation about what are your actual dreams and what is in your imagination is there do you have what sort of imagination do you have about how things could be better or are you kind of taking that all from these kind of fictionalized unreal 
you know, un- friends' universes and things like that? Is that where you're getting your ideas? Yeah, because if, if it is, then there yeah. lives disappointment. The most recent thing I watched was this Newcastle can lose weight, war on sugar thing. Um, okay. And it gave, it gave a very vivid example this is what we were talking about last you know in fact after the podcast last week the fact that everything's connected and the reason we one of the reasons we haven't picked like one topic which we keep pushing or or is or one campaign is the fact that everything kind of joins up with everything else and so one of the experts they have on this show is a, a nudge psychologist dude who's interested in the food industry and he was talking about how fast food and fast food advertising coming into the country has um created a world where a lot of these families are addicted to not addicted like the shops where you can buy food have disappeared the skills involved with cooking food have disappeared and they all you know they live off ready food or but they um so they have this whole like you know it's sort of a um uh everybody advertised fast food to to me i eat fast food I've forgotten how to cook. I can't cook healthy food. I'm overweight. I feel ill. I can't, you know, it's like, it's kind of a cycle you can't break out of. Yeah. Like, so it's, yeah, like the, there's, there's, there's a lot of forces that are keeping you down and probably immigrants is the least of it. But you got, you want to blame somebody. Yeah. You, it's, it's, and yeah, just, we, we have to stop people need, can't, we can't have people blaming the people with the least power, and that's you know what I always come back to, just just what people are being encouraged to do. Just oh, who can't fight back? Okay, it's their fault. Yeah. worst moment I had in Berlin when I'd, I'd been there for like a couple of months I thought I was, I was sort of settling in a little bit I had this moment in a supermarket where um, the guy sort of scanned my stuff and it came in like 21 euros or whatever and um, I tried to use my card but for some reason the card had been cancelled and then I hadn't got the call because I hadn't put the right sim card in my phone so so I'd sort of missed the kind of fraud protection call and then I didn't have the language to communicate I was like well can I just like take one thing out and because I only had 20 euros um, in cash well I tried to communicate can you just take one thing out and do it and he was like no, Rouse! And just like yelled at me to get out, like with my stuff. And it was absolutely humiliating and it was absolutely horrible. And that was the moment where I was like, I, I, I hate it here. I just want to go. It's horrible. That's just a story about not being able to defend myself as someone who doesn't speak the language, even though I was doing my best to learn it. Uh, it's just like we should not be bullying these people they're, they're, they're probably having a bad enough time here that they kind of want to get back home sooner or later that it's probably if naturally going to happen one way or another once things calm down yeah i don't know i think that's a good story one of the things about this america children in cages thing is that i don't believe that you need to be a parent to empathize with how bad this is Do you really need to have that trauma to understand how traumatic it is? If you can't imagine it as the parent, imagine it as the child, imagine it as the 
as the adult in the area listening to the children. You know, you drop off your own child at nursery, it screams, you feel bad for the rest of the day. You don't want to, you know, and you know it's, yeah. it loves it, it's going to stop crying within 30 seconds, 10, 5 seconds of you leaving. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's going to have a great time and you still spend the, you know, it's... That's something as my, the first therapist I ever spoke to actually said to me. I, I sort of said about my mother dying when I was five, and he said, I mean, you just look at a, the reaction of a child being left alone at nursery for the day. Yeah. Um, no wonder it takes you a lifetime to, to, get to come to terms with yeah. it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I just look at my... I went to London this week twice. One time I was home in time for bedtime, one time I wasn't. The next morning, my child turned around and goes, Mummy, uh, you don't need to go to London anymore. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, yes, I do. But she did volunteer. She, she said, it. She said, if you... Are you going to the zoo? Because <laughs> that's what happened last time she went to London. <laughs> if you need somebody to come with you, Granny and I can come with you. <laughs> like, okay, thank you for volunteering. But yeah, it's just like you don't need to be there at that border. You don't need to have your country fall apart to have the bomb. You know, just just pause. Here is not even Donald Trump can justify what has been happening at the borders and it's I think it's the first time he's ever actually had to renege on something he said and like sign an executive order that he said wouldn't be possible to do I think it's the first time he's actually had to admit that it's you know he's gone too far something bad has been happening and um, this is the result of having these sorts of immigration policies it turns into too much administration to deal with and then stuff slips through the cracks and you ruin people's lives and you create angry people, you create heartbroken people and you just end up just offsetting a short-term placation of the populace for uh, just massive problems in the future. Yeah. And the fact that like, we should be looking at this and going, this is what the result of what you want is can you handle that or maybe can we go back to that thing that you said you wanted and you know think of an alternative yeah and and i think i think what's what's terrifying really at the moment is that the need for people to migrate is going to go up not down climate change is going to have a bigger effect on migration than failing economies and war and it's gonna be like there's an area of pakistan i think where it's been consistently over 50 degrees centigrade people could not leave their houses you know it is too hot for human habitation and those people those apparently pakistan is going to be one of those countries that's most affected by climate change and you know those people are going to have to go somewhere crops will fail hunger you know it, it just it is a big deal we cannot just stop people moving because you know they're gonna move (laughs) we need one world we need the star trek vision of the future where there are no borders and everyone can sort of go where they want and maybe before long we'll have little kind of in-ear language translators anyway so that won't be a problem and like we can solve this but you know regressive thinking is not the answer to any of this we can only it cannot be solved one country at a time A 
Um, thanks for listening to that podcast. You can find us at grandpodcast.com. There is a big orange button at the top left of that website that says subscribe on it, and that is going to help you listen to that in a nicer way in Apple Podcasts or if you're not on, on iTunes, it actually turns into a different button depending on what kind of computer you're looking at it on. So if you're wondering how to listen to the podcast without having to do it through Facebook or through YouTube or something, then click on that subscribe button and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah. Where can people find you, Ivanka? People can find me at Ivanka on Twitter. You can find me at michaelforestmusic.com because I'd done all the music on this, didn't I? And all the editing and all that kind of thing. Um, please uh, give us some reviews um, on your podcast app of choice or YouTube. I mean, YouTube comments are good, but that's a different thing. But um, certainly some likes on YouTube. So just give us some likes and some subscribes and some thises and thats and just show some support. Yeah, just, you just spread the word. Yes, spread the word. Spread the word. Spread the word like a flying bird. And All right, see you uh, next week, hopefully. Bye. 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 Bye.